You may open your Bibles to Proverbs 15. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, for what's already been done today. We are very, very blessed. From the back room and the prayers back there to what we've all heard from this pulpit. Thank you very much, Brother Jerry. There's hardly a minister in the world that has the faith, the understanding, the courage, the conviction, able to present the content that you just gave us. Wonderful. That's how we ought to live. Anything contrary to that is insanity, stupidity, utterly vain and vexing. There isn't a thing you can do about the politics in our nation, and we couldn't care less. We trust God, we pray, we ask Him to oversee our rulers, just like Paul did the Roman government, which was worse than the one we have. We are blessed very much. We pray for the peace of Babylon because we want peace in her peace. But Psalm 76, which was just presented, and anyone listening to this sermon or viewing it later, should back up and go and see or hear Psalm 76, which is also on our website. Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Those are people who worry about politics and worry about other things. They ruin their lives. All the days of the afflicted are evil. This is affliction that is self-imposed. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And a merry heart is a choice, and you were just told how to have it. We start with the foundation of Isaiah 61, that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to be our Savior and our Redeemer and King, and then we're told what He's able to do to the kings of this earth. And in the combination of the two, there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to worry about, there's nothing to get us down. As you just heard several times, be of good cheer. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And he certainly has. This is a theme verse for our study on happiness for the child of God. All the days of the afflicted are evil. You can ruin your life or you can have a continual feast by choosing to have a merry heart. Turn with me then to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 for another one of our favorite verses. A minor prophet toward the end of your Old Testament Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's the fifth removed from the end. Habakkuk, chapter 3. Let me just get started with a few of these verses that the Lord has shown us. What are your favorite verses in the Word of God about happiness, gladness, and joy? Here's one of them. It should be. Verse 17. It closes out. The minor prophet of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3.17 Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice In the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. 
Sing it. It says to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. I just want to get your attention. Notice how this minor prophet ends. Sing it. Though all these negative things were to happen, what negative things do you have in your life? None of them mount up to this. This is serious trouble. This is total economic failure, yet I will rejoice and I will joy and I will dance through life. Because that's what it's like to have hinds feet. A female deer is very, very light of foot. And so you can dance through life if the Lord is your strength and your joy. One more. Nehemiah chapter 8. Come back to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember, this is the most detailed preaching service given to us in Holy Scripture. And when they had read in the book in the law of God distinctly and given the sense and caused the people to understand the reading, there was a great deal of weeping because they were sorry for their sins that they had had exposed to them by the preaching. However, verse 9 Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people. This is Nehemiah 8, 9. I'm in the middle of it. Said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. When you understand the preaching of God's word and you get conviction by it, there is a very real need to be excited and thankful for the fact that you were convicted and understood what was preached in order to change your life. And the joy of the Lord is a far better motivator than fear. And let's not forget that. It's a far better motivator. You can't enforce love from a person, but you can draw it forth with joy and happiness. And so it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength in that 10th verse. What have we covered so far? God is infinitely happy and always so. God wants you to be happy. So he's written a Bible filled with suggestions, warnings, rules, and commandments. Happiness is knowing God first. Happiness is obeying God Happiness is knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Happiness is a choice that you make every day, every hour. Happiness is a commandment from Him. Happiness has benefits for you and for those around you. Yet most Christians are unhappy. God's given us some rules and we've covered a few of them. Walking with God. A few pages away is Job chapter 22. Job 22. The first rule of being happy is walking with God, delighting in Him, praying to Him, reading His Word to meet Him, talking about Him, talking to Him, telling Him how much you love Him, embracing Him, thanking Him, calling upon Him as Abba Father, walking with God. I'm I'm going to do this for you, Lord. I'm going to do it as unto you, Lord. It doesn't matter whether it's dishes or driving to work. 
Everything is to the Lord because you're walking with Him all day long. Job chapter 22 and verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Did Jerry just do that for us? Did he get us acquainted with the Lord? Acquaint now thyself with Him. This is a choice that you make to get further acquainted with the Lord. In His Word, by His Spirit, in His assemblies, by His people. Acquaint now thyself with Him. I love the verse. Acquaint now thyself with Him. There's no one else I could ever introduce you to. There's no one you could ever introduce me to that would mean a thing to me in comparison to this God. And this God is available. Remember when I preached to you about knowing God? He has made Himself knowable to us. He has revealed Himself to us. He is vulnerable to us. He has made Himself approachable by us. Acquaint now thyself with Him. Be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Do you think the man in Job twenty two twenty one is happy? I guarantee you he's happy. He's acquainted with God. He's having God give him peace in his life. And he's experiencing God's goodness. That's the basis. Then you're supposed to, you need to rule your spirit. And the Bible tells you to rule your spirit or you're an infant. You're a defenseless person if you don't rule your spirit. If you let your little infantile moods take you and cause you to do anything, rather than by faith, you're stealing your own happiness. We looked at honoring parents because the Bible says He'll bless the man that honors his parents. The importance of godly friends. How to use marriage because it's God's portion to us under the sun. Parental kindness instead of parental overbearingness can encourage children. The Bible itself is such a gift to give us joy. What a book. There are people that will tear the wrapping off a book written by men or women and rejoice or shed tears that somebody bought them a stupid book. I don't even care if it's a commentary. There's only one book that can truly cause joy in the human heart, and it's this book. This book is spiritual. Every commentary you have to read, you have to throw away nine sentences to get one that's worth throwing away later. They're unbelievable waste of time. The Bible, to know that you're forgiven. In my list here, it's got an exclamation point behind it. Forgiven! That should cause us great joy. Forgiven! Pardoned! Abundant pardon! We're going to go straight into the presence of God forever. Mirth feasts, joy in serving others, Jesus, others, and then you. Don't forget those mirth feasts. We just read it again in Nehemiah chapter 8. You read it last night in Deuteronomy chapter 14, that there was a time to be spent every year with your whole family before the Lord, spending 10% of gross income, rejoicing in whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. That is the God of the Old Testament. He is so good, and that's how He teaches the fear of the Lord. He doesn't teach the fear of the Lord by singeing you with Mount Sinai. That was just part of His presentation. But His overall, annual, every year, next year, the year following, 10% spent with whatsoever thy soul desireth. Contentment, having a proper perspective of the world like Jerry gave us, having God's priorities that are laid out to us in the Word of God, 
being full of thanksgiving, getting enough sleep, and simplifying your life so that you can take time to smell the roses or to eat the ice cream. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's get going on some new points. And we shall not linger too long anywhere, the Lord helping us. 2 Corinthians there's a, there's a very lengthy outline that is on the internet and it will be cleaned up further and expanded further and it will be there if you ever want to review some of these things. God wants you to be happy and He's told you how to be happy. Right. What we want to deal with this moment is worrying. Jerry just dealt with it politically. Why would you worry about the affairs of this world? That they've been going on like this for 6,000 years. Nothing's changed. It's not as bad as it's been before. It's bad because it's thrown in our faces and shoved at us. And little people who have never had a chance to get their opinions heard by anyone because their opinions are not worth to be heard by anyone can now shove them at you by social media and by news desperate media that want to share it with you. We never had that before. So we never had to worry about irritating stupid statements made by stupid people about events that they have no understanding of, and all they have is their selfish little self-interest in the thing. Stop worrying. Worrying is painful. It's profitless. It's distracting. It's stupid. It's tempting. It's tiring. And it's very wasteful. Stop living by foolish feelings and start living by faith. Look at this little verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't look around and let things move us. Because the things that you can see don't count. The things that you can't see do count. You can't see an angel, but he counts. You can't see God, but he counts. You can't see heaven, but it counts. The stuff around you, it's all temporal. It's all going to be burned up. So forget it. Stop worrying about it. Lord, help us. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's faith. Worrying never accomplished anything positive. Do you understand that? The the amount of your person, the amount of your soul that you put into worrying about something has never accomplished anything profitable. But it can and will destroy you. And it can and will distract you. And it can and will discourage you. And it can and will depress you. But it's never accomplished anything. Why would you do it? Why would I do it? Jesus blasted worry as foolish in light of His powerful providence. Do the lilies of the field worry about what they're going to wear? Do the birds of the air worry about what they're going to eat? Thank you, James. Do you remember? Why did I say thank you, James? Last Sunday, he gave us a good reminder. He was humble and transparent to the whole church and laid out what a great lesson there was in Matthew 6 for his soul. Praise the Lord for that. Paul said that we should be without carefulness. We're supposed to have a carefree life. And when we come in prayer, we're to come carefree. Not anxious, not worrying, not fearful. David said to do your reasonable best, trust Him for the rest, and go to bed. 
Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Cast your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Why are you embracing your cares? Why are you loading them on your back? Cast them on Him and be happy. Well, who's going to do the worrying for me? First of all, you don't need anyone doing the worrying for you. And second of all, God will do it for you. Though He doesn't worry. Don't be... Don't be the foolish man by burying your talent, by letting worrying about the difficulty of life, and God is so demanding that I cannot meet up to His expectations. That's what the man said who buried his talent in the earth. Take your two, take your five, and serve the Lord. Joyfully. It doesn't matter whether you've got two or five. The same words of commendation and praise came from the Lord Jesus Christ, came from the Lord to the servant with two talents as well as to the servant with five. It doesn't matter. It's what you've done with what God's given you. Give it back to Him. Don't worry. You, well, I, just, I just can't measure up. I just can't please the Lord. You're the man burying your talent. Because the minute and the energy and the emotion that you're taking to think such foolish, wasteful, vain thoughts is getting no return on what He's given you. Thinking about something does not get it done. Stop thinking. Start thanking. Start serving someone else. Stop thinking. You say you're trying to brainwash us. Yes, I am. I'm trying to wash your brain of your thoughts so that you'll think his thoughts. Oh, they're destructive. Give me, give me five seconds in two circumstances and I can paint the bleakest picture you've ever imagined in your life. I can have the world turning inside out and everyone everyone deceiving and defrauding each other with just a couple of circumstances and a couple of seconds. I've got the most wicked, wild, crazy mind. Don't tell me. I don't know about thinking. But I'd rather be too busy to think. What about self-examination? Of course I include that. I can do that in a couple minutes a day. How long do you think we need? Hours? To be wasteful? Lord, help us. We want to stop worrying. We know that you don't want us worrying because everything's in your control. We've just heard it so well this morning. Help us to stop worrying and to live the carefree lives that you want us to. Okay, let's go to another one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. for the, Let's go to Matthew 18 for this one. This one is... You want to be happy? Forgive everyone. Everything. Forever. You want to be happy? Forgive everyone. Everything. Forever. Forget it all. Or you will never enjoy God's best for your life. Lack of forgiveness causes bitterness, envy, gall, grudges, hate, revenge, strife. And these sinful poisons will consume away your spiritual joy and health. They will consume away your physical health. They will consume away your spiritual vitality. Forgive everyone. Forgive them. No one has done anything against you worthy of you thinking about it or remembering it for one second. Forgive them. Forget it. Blow it away. Live the life that God has given you. Don't let them be your master. They are your master when you don't forgive them. 
They are not your servant when you don't forgive them. They are your master because they are controlling your spirit by your inability or unwillingness to forgive them. There's so many verses that I could turn you to about the, what the lack of forgiveness does in, your, in destroying your soul and even your life. Some of you may remember a book written years ago called None of These Diseases. And none of these diseases written 50 years ago or so took Bible verses and pointed out how that we destroy ourselves physically by spiritual problems like bitterness, not forgiving, hate, envy, malice, and that those poisons inside us even destroy physical health. Now the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22 that a merry spirit doeth good like a medicine. So take your medicine, children, the pastor included, take your medicine. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I'm turned you to Matthew 18 because it is that precious parable in verses 23 through 35 where Jesus in detail answers Peter who said, Lord, when my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven? And Jesus said, 70 times seven's closer to the truth. But let me tell you, if someone hits 491 with you, you still should forgive them. Don't try to put a limit on the Lord. He, that was a metaphorical, hyperbolic statement for you to always forgive your brother when he offends against you and repents. Verses 23 through 35, I'm not going to read the whole passage. This is the kingdom of heaven being compared to a certain king which had a servant that owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was a very large amount of money. We are talking about millions of dollars. And the Lord freely forgave him. But that servant went out after having been forgiven millions of dollars and took a fellow servant, a peer, by the throat and required of him a hundred pence. Only a hundred pennies. A buck. And the Lord heard about that and he called the man in that he had forgiven 10,000 talents and asked him about the inequity of such a foolish transaction and dealings with his friend or with a fellow servant. And this is what it says. Verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Has God had pity on us? Abundant pity. Should we have that pity toward others? Yes. By so many different measures, in so many different levels and layers. We can't be offended by someone else compared to the way that we can offend God by our sins. He's infinitely holy. You're just as wicked, foolish, and base, and perverse as the person that offended you. Lord, help us to see things clearly. This question is so valid. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee, and forgiven him the hundred pence, and said, forget it. What's a buck between friends? And his Lord was wroth. I'm not making this up, and neither do the King James translators. This is what Jesus said. Is it in the red writing in your Bibles? See, I've got a black writing Bible. Is it in the red? 
and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The Lord can turn you over to tormentors to get out of you some of what you owe him because you won't forgive someone else the little offense against you. Of course our sins are paid for legally, but God can turn your world upside down. He can turn your heart inside out. He can torture you. He can chasten you. He can torment you if, verse 35, you say, you're going a little too far, Pastor. Well, let's read and see if I am. Verse 35, so, likewise, so, that little adverb that means in the way that has just been described, so, likewise, so we get it doubled to us, It doesn't just say, so shall my heavenly father. It says, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also that we get it tripled to us. Do you see that? Do you know how to read the Bible? Do you know how to read English? So likewise also shall your heavenly father do unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And if you say to me, I don't, I don't seek revenge. I address them in public. I don't hurt them. You haven't even come close to the passage yet. Because it said, forgiving them in your heart. If you don't forgive them in your heart, your heavenly Father, tripled to you, will torment you for that. And you are not going to be happy when the God of heaven is tormenting you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a, this is a very important point to be happy and joyful and glad and dance through life and have a continual feast. Second Corinthians 2 is where we're headed. And that is by forgiving one another. Forgive everyone for everything they have done to you and forget it all. Or you'll never enjoy God's best. He's forgiven you everything forever. Why can't you forgive the nothing? The, the, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't count. It doesn't, there's no measuring stick to even find that it exists. In anything anyone did to you. It wouldn't matter what they did to you. I thank God that there are some of these carnal, marginal Christians that are having their spouses killed. Do you remember the one from Liberia three years ago? And taking out a newspaper ad in Liberia to forgive those who killed her husband. You know, when we read about the churches they go to and the doctrines they believe, that's why I call them a carnal, marginal Christian. But when they do something like that, you want to bow your head, not to worship, but to acknowledge that that was a great demonstration of Bible Christianity. If they did it in obedience to the Word of God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive, does that mean... That we shouldn't have capital punishment? No, it doesn't mean that, because the Bible teaches capital punishment. But you know, even when a person is put to death by capital punishment, the family can still forgive. All of that was to say, that's murder of your spouse. I'm not aware of anyone in here who's had their spouse murdered. The biggest things that I can think of in any of your lives... I can't even see them with a microscope. The biggest things that have happened to me, I can't see them with a microscope. Forgive and forget and go on. Here's what happens if we don't. 2 Corinthians 2. 
If you don't forgive, verse, verses 9 and 10 are about forgiveness. If you can look at verse 10, you, can, you should be able to see the word forgive and forgave in there. Two, two times for forgive, one time for, two times for forgave. Do you see it? Do I ha- I'll read it to you. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it three times. For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. So there's five forgivenesses in 2 Corinthians 2.10. Do you think we can safely assume the context? That it's forgiving people. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And what are his devices? To sow enmity and a wedge between people like Cain and Abel until there is hatred, bitterness, enmity, and anger and wrath there, and then murder. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. So how do you take away Satan's advantage? Do you know how many people are worried about the devil? It amazes me. I get written so much about the devil's doing this to me, and I don't know what to do. Well, have you ever thought of praying in the name of Jesus? Have you ever thought of obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought about reading a passage of Scripture that says that Jesus Christ has already defeated the devil? Have you, have you read in Revelation 12 out loud that Jesus cast him out of heaven because there wasn't room enough there for Jesus and the devil? Have you read Colossians chapter 2 that says Jesus defeated the devil openly, triumphing over him on the cross? It's superstitious paganism that wants to worry about the devil instead of glorying in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are a few hints like this given to us in the Bible, aren't there? We're told how to put the whole armor of God on. We're told that this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Now, does that sound like terror, or does that sound like we simply adjust our strategy a little bit in order to accomplish great things? Amen. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. You can move the mountains in your life. I don't care if the devil's in them or not. By prayer and fasting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we even get to that, why don't you try this one? Lest Satan get an advantage of us. You know, when you give Satan an advantage... Of course he can do some havoc in your life because you gave him an advantage. And how did you give him an advantage? You didn't forgive someone. Stop trying to save the world. Point three today. I'm not on forgiveness. Stop trying to save the world or worrying about those that refuse help and instruction. The world has many fools. You're going to meet them and they're going to greatly grieve you. But remember this little rule that is so helpful to me. Every man shall bear his own burden. Amen. Galatians 6.5 When I see someone that just wants to continue to live against the Word of God, against the efforts that we've made, parents have made, others have made, to try to help them, bye-bye. Have a nice life. Every man shall bear his own burden. There's just a great deal of comfort in that. And Paul gave that to the churches, the churches of Galatia in order to comfort them. Even the children that you love, they don't want to serve the Lord. They don't want to fall down and worship the Lord of glory. Bye-bye. Have a nice life. Every man shall bear his own burden. My DNA connection is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood. His blood type is all that matters to me. I couldn't care less about my blood type, my last name, or my DNA. I care about His and His people and His children, and I will always apply my efforts toward them. I have very little left over for anything else. Of course, I love having a triple brother here. I love having my father here, and I love having some children here that are with me serving the Lord. 
and they know that I love them. However, I don't care that they're listening to me right now because what I'm saying they've always known. It's DNA of the Lord Jesus Christ that counts the most. And if my DNA doesn't appreciate His DNA, bye-bye. Stop trying to save everyone. A perfect family is God's work. Why don't you ask Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. From Solomon to Paul, the Bible is quite clear about avoiding fools and scorners. Stay away from them. They'll mess your life up. Cast out the scorner and strife will cease. Get rid of those that don't love the Lord. Get rid of those that aren't happy in Him. Get rid of those that don't chase the Lord Jesus Christ. Get rid of those that don't want to live a holy life. Get rid of those that don't that want to talk about politics. They're fools and scorners. They're meddling with those that are given to change. We don't want change. We'll let the Lord work some change. The change we need most of all is right here. Is right here. And in our homes and in our church. Let it flow out from us. It's never going to flow downhill from Washington. Let it flow up from us. Washington never made this nation a Christian nation. This nation was a Christian nation without Washington. Before Washington. You can't legislate Christianity the way that we care about it. It can only come by revival of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to save the world. If a person does not want to repent and do things right, then leave him to himself. Don't overcommit to anything in your life. Stop trying to save the world because you can't do it all. Do, do your reasonable best. I went to bed late last night. Don't think about it, Chris. I went to bed later than usual last night. So I stayed in a little bit longer this morning. Do you know why? Because I have a deal with the Lord. I'll trust Him on Saturday nights. Why'd you bring that up right now? Stop trying to save the world. I'll trust the Lord to take care of me when I'm in the pulpit. And I'm not going to stay up late and I'm not going to get up early and I'm not going to eat the bread of sorrows about it. Some of you don't know how to say no. Would some of you just learn how to say no? Somebody calls. Would you come and do this for me? No. Well, I think you could do a little bit better than that. I'm sorry, but, I'm, but I have a lot of things to do today. And I just don't have time for that right now. And I hope that all of you will say thank you very much for being so honest with me. Amen. I'm sorry for calling you. I'm sorry for not being able to take care of my own life and that I have to call on you to help me. That's how it all works out very well together. Learn how to say no. It's hard to say no when you want to serve everyone. Yeah, I'll be there. Sure. Sure. I can have breakfast with you at 8 o'clock. Inside, I got one at 9 o'clock and I had one at 7 o'clock. You know, yes, I can be there because we want to serve. But this is just a rule for your happiness. Cut down your obligations. Simplify your life. Learn to say no. Do not fill your schedule. Do not overwork. He giveth his beloved sleep. If you think I'm overworking, that's your problem because you don't work hard enough. I'm not overworking. I know. I'm the judge of whether I'm overworking or not. The Lord's the judge of whether I'm overworking or not. I have plenty of time with her. That's important to me. And I have plenty of time for a little bit of bodily exercise. And I have plenty of time to sleep. And I love exactly what I'm doing. And there's 168 hours in a week. And the 40-hour work week is a blankety blank blank. What in the world? 40 hours a week. 
I wouldn't be happy. What, what, would you, what would I do if I was only working 40 hours a week? What would I do? I'd have 100 hours left over. I'm nothing. But so when I say do not overwork, I mean it for me too. Yes, when I leave my office and go with, get with my wife, no matter what I'm doing, part of me feels guilty, but I just tell that part to shut up for a little while and go do it anyway. She'll say, what are you thinking about? Let's not give that answer in this pulpit. What's happened to my inbox while we were gone? Educate your conscience. Let's go to another one. Look at Romans 14. The Bible has many suggestions on blessing us with happiness. Let's stop trying to save the world. You know, some of us grew up in a situation under a theology, a soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, that the, that the salvation of the lost was dependent upon us. Do you remember that little burden? That's just a little, that's just a little tiny thing you put on your back, you know, about the, about the weight of an acorn, about the weight of a Yamaha grand piano. You know, tap on your back that you've got to save the lost. Everyone that, everyone that is in your path in life, you need to save and get their names in the book of life. That's not in the Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ has already guaranteed He's going to save every single one that God wanted to have saved. And He's not going to lose a single one of them. And there's, there's relief in that. But we need to move on to the next one, Romans 14. Look what it says. Verse 22. You know that Romans 14 is a chapter about Christian liberty. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy, happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Happy. Do you want to be happy? Then educate your conscience so that you can get over some of the little hang-ups you have. What were the hang-ups here? What's this verse written about? Let me suggest that this verse was written by a Jew about a Jew who couldn't have pizza because there's pepperoni on every good pizza. Now, you people that like pineapple and ham, I'm sorry. But pizza without pepperoni is hardly pizza. But if you were a Jew and you were still feeling that you were under the scruples of Deuteronomy chapter 14, the first half which you read last night, you couldn't have a pepperoni pizza. And so what does it say? Happy is he that condemneth not himself for calling little Caesars in that pizza which he alloweth. There is, there is mercy and blessing in educating your conscience to enjoy everything that God's given us. I have already said some things today about this. Today is holiness to the Lord. Will you all sing the doxology with me? And then the university creed. Then the Lord's prayer. And let's have our fifth moment of silence. You say you're being sacrilegious. Yes, I am. The religious ideas of Pharisees and of this world. I'm making fun of them because they're not truly sacred. The, the, I'm sharing with you some things about your conscience. Listen. No one in this church has been as puritanical as I was at 19 from reading the Puritans. I would lay a few jewels on you right now, but some of you modest ones might be a little offended about some of the vows I made to God about how holy I was going to be. She's telling me no. I'll listen. Educate your consciences. Where did your present liberty come from? Your, your liberty of conscience. Where did it come from? Your parents? 
false teachers, fear, habit, Puritans, where did it come from? Christians have hang-ups outside of Scripture about food. I've read Christian vegetarians. I've read Christians that are following the Old Testament law of no pork. Just for just the idea of food. Alcohol, here's a string. Birth control, cards, lovemaking, antidepressants, vacations, recreation, schooling choices, stimulants, medical treatment, dating, motorcycles, and other things that God doesn't care about. And if you like them, go get one. You know, this morning, get out of my car. Puritan heading for his building. Here comes Daniel Jones and his Harley. Wheels around me. Well, that goes out the window. Yes. We're Americans. We're free. We can enjoy the things God's given us. And is there a verse in the Bible that tells you what you need to drive to church? Do we all need to drive dark, dark cars with dark windows to church? No. No. Due to circumstances, I had to drive a man's P-51 Mustang uh, today. Listen, brethren. Look at the verse. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Get happy with God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. When you can learn to allow things that you may not have allowed in the past, that God doesn't care about, then take mercy upon yourself and do it. Why take a month to get over a malady, feeling horrible and wondering the whole time if you're going to get over it, when an antibiotic will do it in two days? Your choice. I'm just trying to help you be happy. An enslaved conscience is terrible. But your conscience can be educated to liberty. Be careful about spreading your joy destroying old wives' fables for sicknesses or your hope destroying old wives' fables for health and prosperity. Listen, everybody has a different opinion here. Go use your own. God doesn't care. God doesn't care if you eat cherry pie or if you don't eat sugar desserts. God doesn't care if you go to a medical doc- a traditional doctor or an alternative doctor. God doesn't care. Do whichever one's the easiest and whichever one's going to get you better the fastest. Educate your conscience. So much more could be said. You know that there are many sermons preached on that. They're on the website under Christian Liberty. Think of how you affect others. Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 4. As we think about being happy in our lives, we should think about the effect that we have on others. Your joy or lack thereof has consequences on others' lives, and you should fear that impact an influence that you have on other people. Let their pain, because of you, correct, rebuke, or provoke you to joyfulness. Especially fathers, then mothers. Your joy or lack thereof affects other people's lives and your children. You can be a black cloud in your family, or you can be the sunshine of your home. And it is a choice you make every day. You can be a black cloud. You can ruin meals. You can ruin atmosphere, environment. You can ruin children wanting to even suggest something because you're going to pick on them, crush them, bite them, chew them. Or you can be the sunshine of the home. You can be the cheerleader of the home. Now, children, you know that your mother was a cheerleader and your father was a black cloud. Together, you had an average life. (laughs) I know... You know why it's so easy to preach on these things? Been there, done that. Lord, help us. I want to be a cheerleader. Sometimes I am. You all noted on your calendars, right? Uh, 
it's, you know what I'm, if, we, if you think about other people, what, what effect am I having on them right now? Oh, you infant, get over this. Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. And I could share other verses with you, as you well know. Look at 12.18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Let our, what, what is supposed to be in the, the tongue of the woman, of the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31? In her tongue is the, the law of kindness. The law of kindness is a virtuous woman's tongue. She's always stroking her children. You say, always? Do you really want to argue right now? If you want to argue with me right now, I can tell what kind of a tongue you have at home. Why do you want to argue with me? Yes. The overall influence of the woman is total kindness. Do you know what Solomon said about his mother Bathsheba? I was tender. I was tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. You say, does that mean I let dad do the dirty work and I can be the good guy? Yes, you can. Be the good cop. Is there a place for the woman to give her son or her daughter commandments as well? Yes, of course. It's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, and Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. And it's Proverbs chapter 31, the first nine verses before we get to the virtuous woman. But this is also true. I was tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Women, are you the sunshine of your home? Are you the son of your home? Are you the cheerleader of your home? There's profit in causing joy in others because the effort and the result will bless you. If you pierce others because of your lack of joy, you should go on a death watch for yourself. You say, where's that in the Bible? Okay, thank you for asking. Chapter 18 and verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that incredible? It's, a, it's only a few inches long, a slimy little thing inside your mouth, inside of my mouth, but it can do terrible things. It can light forest fires. How long does it take? About one second. It's a blowtorch. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Then love it for life. If you love it for death, you should go on a death watch for yourself because of what's coming. How about music? How about music? You know, when King Saul had the Holy Spirit taken away from him and an evil spirit sent upon him from the Lord, the servants, the servants of King Saul said, we have a problem with our master, the king of Israel. Let us find a man that can play music skillfully so that he can be relieved of this affliction. Music. I'm giving you things that can help make you happy. And I am not talking about the world's music. When the world's music makes you happy, it is making you happy carnally, and it will come back to bite you severely. Because you are playing with fire. If music is the language of the soul, as some people say, and you are playing with the language of the soul of the world, which is of the devil, you are messing with something that is going to destroy you, and it destroyed me as a youth to listening to rock and roll music. And you don't need any lesson on rock and roll music. All you need to do is think for a few minutes about the origin of that music, the performers of that music, the listeners of that music, the fruits of that music. It is chaotic confusion at a high volume level with a driving rhythm that takes a hold of young bodies filled with hormones. Right. You don't even need to hear anything else. By their fruits ye shall know them. 
Music. Consider how the servants of King Saul knew that music could heal him. Look at the lives of those that feast on spirit-destroying music of the devil. Melancholy music will destroy the introverts that have to stop their foolish thinking. If you're a melancholy and you like to sit around and think thoughts, which we're going to get to, and you like to sit around and think thoughts, don't you listen to any kind of melancholy music. It will tear you up from the inside out. It will feed those stupid thoughts of yours, those horrible feelings of yours, those destructive, wasteful, vain, vexing feelings. Get some music on that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the God of heaven, and see if you don't want to go out and march to your next task to do it. Instead of going to bed, instead of sitting and rocking yourself in a trance because you're thinking about thinking and thinking. Lord, forgive us. Music. Music should glorify God. It should lift our spirits to obey Him better. God glorifying music in your life will direct your heart and mind toward Him. One of the happiest men in the Bible was David. And he was its greatest musician. Yes, he was cast down at times. But did he know how to get himself out of those situations? Yes, and yes, and yes, and over and over. And he got himself out of it by, I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him. Because he loved praise and he knew its effect. You you have more means for music, good or bad, than anyone that's ever gone before us by a factor of a thousand. How are you using it? The world is going to use it to fill your life with its ungodly noise and its wicked lyrics. I don't have to give you any lesson. I'm not Bob Larson. I'm not Frank Garlock. I don't really care that much. I've read their stuff. I've watched their videos. I don't need to go into any of that. All I have to do is tell you, look at the fruits. And you know you shouldn't listen to it. But boy, to put on some put on some good music, to put on our a cappella singing from our website. Proverbs thirty one. Proverbs thirty one six and seven. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. That's an instruction from a queen mother. That's a queen mother to a king. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, wine to those that be of a heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. I get asked, what if I have a problem? I have a chemical imbalance. I don't care what you want to call it. I believe that it can happen. And I've been prescribed antidepressants. Can a Christian take an antidepressant? Why not? Well, they should be relying on the Holy Spirit. Hold your thought for a moment. May I go with you the next time when you go to your dentist and see how much you rely on the Holy Spirit? I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to be enough for you in the dentist's chair when he comes at you with that terrible-sounding drill that is able to turn your brain inside out as he goes inside your mouth and just drills right down into a nerve because I'll pay him to do it. I'm serious. Oh, you want some Novocaine? You want some, what's it called? Come on, Chris, give me a few words. Lidocaine or whatever that they inject people with. Anesthesia is a pretty wonderful thing. You ever tossed down any NyQuil? 
NyQuil will help you sleep better. NyQuil is 50 proof. That means it's 25% alcohol. The old NyQuil was. Maybe some teetotalers have got a hold of it, so it's down to 40 proof. I get asked these questions by people who are seriously troubled. I know Christians that are on antidepressants. I'm not saying they're in this assembly. I was once prescribed antidepressants for some anxiety attacks I had in 1987. Um, I have a great answer for them. Mood-altering chemicals are God's invention. Use them. Have fun. Where do I get that from? Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. Wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Is alcohol designed to relax the central nervous system so that you can't, so that you kind of lose worry about the things that are happening? Yes. Does the Bible say that God made wine to make glad the heart of man? In Psalm 104, yes, it does. In the same place, it says it has three food groups. God made bread to make strong the heart of man. God made oil to make his face to shine in a dry climate. If you pop a couple vitamin E three days in a row, the third day you're going to have oil on your forehead. The Lord knows all that. Bread to make strong your heart. Oil to make your face to shine by giving you liquid liquid moisture even in your skin and wine to make glad your heart that's why god made it that's why when you crush grapes and leave them sitting there in their skin and juice that the sugar in the grape juice combines with the leaven or yeast on the skin of the grape and bang you've got um fermentation taking place immediately and as soon as the alcohol reaches 13 or 14 percent it kills it because at that alcohol level the yeast no longer functions and so the bible says that in psalm 104 and here it says this and so if you need a mood altering chemical you know there's no difference in medicinal hormones medicinal antidepressants or other helpers you know you take aspirin you alter your head you alter how you feel you take nyquil you take caffeine It's a shame to criticize alcohol while taking any of those other things. The next time you visit a dentist or a doctor, tell them you don't believe in chemicals. Lord, have mercy upon us. Exercise has a little profit. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, There's all kinds of minor emotional and psychological benefits derived from exercising. There are chemicals called endorphins that are released along with feeling better. With limitations, with limitations, The more fit you are, the better you feel about life and projects. You have more energy and so forth. You can read it in 1 Timothy 4, 8, where Paul, pressing, exercising ourselves to godliness as being much more important, does say, bodily exercise profiteth little. Avoid activities that frustrate or irritate you. That's mechanical repair for me. To stay away from anything that involves mechanical repair. Where you can afford it, within God's financial guidelines, hire difficult chores out. That's enjoying life. That's taking on a servant for a period of time and just writing a check and getting it over with so that you don't have to go through the grief or put anyone else in your family through the grief. My family likes to see me with the yellow pages. It's better than seeing me with the toolbox. And I, I'm using me to save you. Let's save ourselves. Let's just be wise. That's that's just wisdom. Practice division of labor in your family and home that matches aptitudes the best. 
Mercy to yourself. This is, this is mercy to yourself. Look at Proverbs 11 and verse 17. You know, the book of Proverbs is greatly, greatly a lesson and a list of rules and suggestions on how to be happy. Now look at this verse. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Proverbs eleven seventeen. Show mercy to yourself. Show mercy to your family. Look at it. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Most places in the Bible that we read about mercy, you're showing mercy to others. But it says to show it to your own soul. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. When you do something that causes you unnecessary grief, you're cruel. Write a check. Get it over with. Of course, slothful souls will abuse God's gracious privilege to be lazy sluggards, but you know I'm not preaching that. Do some nice things for yourself if you're not used to it. Get yourself a better mattress. Buy yourself some higher quality food. You know, when I talk about ice cream, and I talked about it last Sunday, now listen, right now it's talking about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The Publix brand does not cut it, nor does Bilo. Bilo brand, are you kidding me? Is there any fat in it at all? Sherry and I don't eat ice cream. So I'm not wasting money by not buying Bilo, okay? Forgive me, get that thought out of your mind so that you can relax and get the point. The point is, if you want to taste and see that the Lord is good, you've got to buy Ben and Jerry's or Haagen-Dazs. If you really want to taste that the Lord is good, but that costs more money. Of course it does. Because you're getting real ice cream instead of air. Do you know what other ice cream is made of? It's made out of air. They blow it up. Yeah, have you ever wondered when you got the Dairy Queen? <laughs> That's, that is stooping. But when you go get something at Dairy Queen, now it calls it dairy, but that is questionable when you get that stuff coming out and you turn this far to walk away and now you've only been out in the sun for three seconds and it's half melted because it's air what is all that to say show some mercy to yourself and get something good now i'm only talking to those that have a budget that can afford it i'm not talking about violating your budget and god's other financial principles taught in the bible Get yourself some high-count sheets. You know, I was raised, somewhere I learned, (laughs) that the best sheets were the cheapest sheets. So you go to Kmart and buy their cheapest sheets. I think they're 25-count. What's a a Kmart sheet? 25-count? You roll over 50 grit. (laughs) You roll over twice and you're bleeding. I remember the first time a church member <coughs> ever tried 600 count sheets. What does 600 count mean? Do I need 600 sheets? <laughs> no. I'll buy you a set. Every night. Almost every night. We look at each other and say, <laughs> life is good. And do you know how, you know how little that is? Right. I was deprived. And I, and I love everyone in here. Uh, Lord, show, thank you for the good things that you've shown us. And thank you for this verse. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. You know, we've got motorcycles in this church. You go on vacations. They, David and Jody, I was so thrilled for where they went the past week. When I heard about it a month ago, I was jumping around in my office, punching the air, because that's a Dave Taylor vacation and a Jody vacation. 
But to be on an island like that, down there in the Caribbean, was wonderful. The Lord's given us these blessings. There was a time when I didn't think you should ever miss a church service, especially for something as stupid as a vacation. That was before I was ordained. Because I had to get over a few little issues before I was ordained. The Lord is so merciful to us. Do you know that when it deals with rich men in the New Testament, the New Testament is a, is a tremendously giving testament. Paul, writing Timothy, when you've got rich men, tell them this, that God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Those rich people were supposed to enjoy their riches. God had given them riches to richly enjoy all good things, and it says so in the Bible. My brothers, stop overworking, overanalyzing, overthinking, overworrying, oversaving. Our God loves mercy. Amen. He loves mercy so much that He will violate His own commandments for modest, marginal mercy to ourselves. You know where I'm going, don't you? Matthew twelve seven. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. Credible. That's our God. He's infinitely happy with us breaking His commandments once in a while when we're showing mercy to ourselves. Pray for it. David prayed that God would restore the joy of his salvation after his sin, and he made the prayer in other places. The serenity prayer is associated with things that it shouldn't be associated with, but it has some value because it just reflects it. It's not Scripture. Trust me, it's not Scripture. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. And there's happiness in that. It creates some comfort. It's a command and a choice to be happy. And you can choose to be happy today. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.